Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, that's right, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. My friend, this is the most agitated time in history. I'm not going over any of the new agitations. You know what they are. Against the backdrop of all this, you and I need an encouraging word today. And that's exactly what we have here. The title, Oh Yeah, You and Whose Army? Subtitle, David and Goliath Revisited. My friend, in the midst of all this mayhem and ridiculousness, I tell you, my soul longs for encouragement that everything is going to be all right. Better than that, everything is going to be victorious. And when I think about that, one thing I always turn to is the story of David and Goliath. Historically, this is one of the pivot stories of the entire Old Testament. And I'll tell you, friend, the reason why is because in it we see the miraculous handiwork of God and its power beyond that which you and I have the ability to muster within ourselves. And for some reason, everybody and their dog wants to take this story and tear it down into man-sized proportions, but it's not. It's God-sized proportions. Let's read it. I'm going to give commentary as we go through. I don't want to get too cerebral about this. I just want to share this with you today to encourage you with good news that God is on his throne. He is the God of angel armies, as the worship song says, and he is invincible. And because of that, if we belong to him, we have ultimate invincibility. And we've got to constantly come back to the truth to allow it to soak into our brains so that we are not destroyed by the garbage that comes at us through every form of media outlet that exists. Here it is, David versus Goliath. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soko in Judah and encamped between Soko and Ezekiah and Ephesadamim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. Let me say right there that the majority text that the King James Version was based on clearly says that Goliath was over nine feet tall. And there are a few scrolls evidently that have it written differently. But my friend, I would say the propensity is to scale it down because people doing the translation or the transcription not believing in the miraculous work of God or the fact that there was somebody nine feet, nine inches tall. And so they inverted and take him down to six feet nine, I think as Malcolm Gladwell and others do. But that's blasphemy. Goliath was a giant. And it's clear from the way that the people, the entire nation of Israel responded to him that he was not just six feet nine and towering over their five foot six bodies. Okay, mark it down. He was a giant and he was nine feet nine. And he wore bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. A bronze javelin. This is something, a spear that's thrown with accuracy if they're trained. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. I've got a website that I've attached in the show notes that talks about 
the overall length and size of the, the javelin alone, the total length of the spear would have been about 12 feet with a total weight of about 33 pounds, counting the counterweight that would have been required to make the javelin balance for throwing. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. So here we have this giant and all his regalia. In addition to his shield bearer, this big, ugly, ferocious war machine. Think about it. The total weight of all his gear was about 200 pounds. 200 pounds. Let me put it in things that you can relate to and understand. That would be equivalent to strapping two round front sitting toilets to you. Now, boy, if that's not a graphic picture, just imagine taking two round front sitting toilets and strap them over your shoulders. Just try picking up one round front sitting toilet. Or how about this? Putting a black bear on your back to go to war. Black bears run about 200 pounds. How about 10 dachshunds? How about 10 dachshunds to go to war? Or how about this? Going out to meet your opponent with 13 bowling balls tied to your body. Or how about 20 average cats? Or how about this, in case you get hungry, four 50-pound dog food bags? <laughs> Think about it, folks. Goliath was a massive human being to walk out with this type of armament strapped to his body. In verse 8, it says, He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine, are you, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Now, my friend, let me remind you, Goliath's terms for battle were arrogant, hot air. Neither side was going to throw in the towel based on the defeat of one man at the battle line. Both sides were composed of seasoned warriors. In verse 10, it says, Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel, now keep in mind, Saul was king. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, from the Philistine, that means from Goliath, they lost their courage and were terrified. So here you have these seasoned warriors of Israel terrified by the presentation of this one beast of a man. Can you imagine what he looked like? Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the next, and Shammah, the third and David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning and evening for 40 days, that's twice a day, that's 80 times, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words. 
which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Friend, in that moment, the mind who walks with God discerned rightly the truth of the situation. As it unfolded, young David identified the real context of what was happening. It didn't take him 40 days of indecision and inaction. In verse 27, the troops told him about the offer, concluding, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now, protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. I want you to notice something. David doesn't let the hateful and condescending public speech of his oldest brother derail his attention from locking in the details and commitment of the reward. Verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. Uh-oh, David gets hauled to the woodshed. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Note, David's accurate assessment of the situation dispels any fear and invigorates his commitment. Verse 33, But Saul replied, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. Note, David does not allow Saul's wrong perspective to derail him from the truth. Verse 34, David answered Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I want you to notice no lamb was expendable to the shepherd David. Even the weakest was worth saving and worth risking his life for. In verse 35, he says, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. My friend, this is not figurative language. This is what David did. He was close enough to smell the stink on the animal. Verse 36, your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Note, David saw the Philistines' acts for what they were, acts of defiance against the armies of the living God. Their focused defiance against God automatically placed them in the loser position. No one who defies the living God succeeds ultimately in their defiance. God always strikes them down unless, like Nineveh, they repent. Verse 37, Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Note, David makes a public declaration of the source of his supernatural power and the salvation of the Lord based on the Lord's previous actions in his life. Question, do you have any recollections of clear, unequivocal, divine rescues by the Lord? Do you have any context to draw from in your past that you can look to to make the declaration of faith that God will rescue you again and again? Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. 
Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then, with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield-bearer in front of him. Now, my friend, that's not exactly a picture of might and strength, is it, when you consider Goliath was a walking wall of bronze and towered over David. As I preached on David and Goliath one night, I stood up on a piano bench over the people on the ground floor. It put me right at nine feet. The people were shocked at the perspective change it immediately afforded. I want to encourage you, try it for yourself sometime. Don't do it on a wall or a large object, but on something that adds nothing to the space around you and the oppressive sense to those below you stands out. Friend, even in the show of bravado by the ferocious enemies of life, with a detailed eye, we can see the enemy's manifestations of doubt and fear. Verse 42, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. Note, the standing of David in his midst should have been a tip off to Goliath that things were not as they seemed. Goliath was coming face to face after 40 days of child's play with the fiercest warrior of the living God. You can't judge a book by its cover. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Mark it down, friend. The name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, is ultimate total power. No weapons of mass destruction or schemes of the Darwinian Marxists can overpower the name of Almighty God. When we get on the right side of the battle in our minds, we realize just how stupid and childish the brutes of our world are and how invincible we really are to their power and schemes. With the resurrection power of Jesus in us, on us, and flowing through us, they can't keep us dead. We have the ultimate power, resurrection power, and we have the ultimate destiny, eternal life in heaven. The brutes of this world are like brute beasts, only to be caught in their spiritless souls destroyed eternally in a real hell. Verse 46, today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spirit that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Note, David gives God glory beforehand that these specific plans that will come to pass do so under the invisible hand of the warrior Lord God. Verse 48, when the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. <laughs> David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, 
pulled it from its sheath and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. Then the Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They fled. Now, my friend, mark this down. The Hebrew says David put Goliath to death with a stone and the sword. David double killed him. He did not just knock him out with the stone. It clearly says in the Hebrew, he put him to death without the sword. The second death was a decapitation in case anybody wondered if Goliath was actually dead. Verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Shalraim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of their Philistines, they plundered their camps. David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put Goliath's weapon in his own tent. Verse 55, when Saul had seen David going out to confront the Philistines, he asked Abner, the commander of the army, Whose son is this youth, Abner? Your majesty, as surely as you live, I don't know, Abner replied. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. Verse 57, when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? The son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem, David answered. David was the fiercest warrior of Israel at that time because he trusted in the God of all creation. Friend, we can walk successfully in this age of constant threat from adversarial forces with peace and security as we learn from the example of David. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.